Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. So grab your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or whatever and meet me in John chapter 10. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew there in front of you. It's page 1075 in that Bible. And we are continuing on through our series that we've called Renovations, Being Transformed to Be Like Jesus. That there was a day, if you are a follower of Jesus, or there was a time where you said, I am going to follow Jesus. And on that day, we believe you are saved. Your eternity is secure. And yet, that's not quite the end of it, because as has often been said, God loves you just the way you are, but also loves you too much to let you stay the way that you are. That we are a renovation project, that God is doing his work in our lives that we would leave our sin more and more and we would look like Jesus more and more. We would leave our sin behind and we would pursue holiness. And so the process is called lots of things. We've been calling it spiritual formation, uh, depending on maybe if you've been in church before or come from a different stream of the church. It might have been called sanctification or regeneration or discipleship or lots of different things. But I really do prefer the term spiritual formation because it reminds us that it is the Holy Spirit doing the forming. God is doing the work in us. We have a part to play, to be sure, but our main part is to connect with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can do the work. A key verse for us has been Romans 8:29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That as we are in this spiritual formation process, we are not losing sort of who we are. We're not losing our identity or the unique way in which God has made us. But we are, again, leaving behind our sin more and more, reflecting the character, reflecting the heart, reflecting the teachings of Jesus more and more. Not just because we're trying harder to do that, but because God is actually changing us so that we can do that. And so as we uh, have been using this picture of renovations, if you've ever been through a reno project, there is stuff that has to get torn down, and then there is stuff that has to get built up. And so we are wanting to, hopefully, hopefully you are excited in your life about, you know what, as I follow after Jesus, I do want to leave my sin behind. I do want to leave my past behind. I do want to leave my pain and my shame and my baggage behind. I do want him to build up what is good and what is holy and what is pure and what is lovely and what is noble. I want him to do that work in my life. So as we get going, um, by the way, just so you're not distracted by the bandages, some of you are wondering why I wasn't shaking hands this morning with people. Um, so just to catch you up, I spent some time in the emergency room yesterday. On Friday night, Friday night is date night in the Walker house. So as I was, I'm off on Fridays and so Sarah works. And so I was putting together a lovely dinner for my wife because I'm a really good husband. And I was getting things ready in the kitchen and I just had a mishap with dropping something involving some scalding oil on the stove that went flying everywhere. And so Friday night, uh, the burn happened and I just sort of toughed through it. We put some aloe on it and wrapped it up. And the next morning, yesterday morning, it was looking pretty bad. And so uh, went into the ER and the, the nurse practitioner who was looking at it said, well, it's a really good thing you came in because that's a second degree burn and it's definitely infected already. And so antibiotics, tetanus shot, which was fun, um, and keeping it wrapped, everything will be okay. But she said, you know, it's a good thing you, come in, you came in because infections in your hand 
uh, I guess stuff can travel really quickly through your hand. And um, she says, so what happens is people get cuts and stuff. They, they don't ever uh, come in necessarily. And your body can fight off infections on its own, but sometimes they can't. And so they said, she said, in a worst case scenario, if you hadn't gotten this dealt with, you might have come back and we might have been taken off your thumb. So really good life lesson, right? Let's not pl play around with this stuff. Let's make sure we're being proactive. And now there's a sermon illustration in there for sure, right? Like there is a, there is something about infection and spreading and dealing with it proactively, but we're not going there today because it's just too close to my heart and it's just too, too sensitive to touch that area right now. So um, instead of talking about a second degree burn that's oozing with pus and blood and really disgusting, we're gonna go the opposite direction for a sermon illustration this morning. And I don't know exactly what the opposite direction is, but I figured it has to be pretty close to a clean and wholesome Disney movie. So we're going to Beauty and the Beast this morning, the original animated feature from the early 90s, not the weird live action one they did a couple years ago. And Beauty and the Beast to me is one of the best things that Disney ever did. And most of you have probably seen it, but just very briefly, uh, it is the story of a young man who is arrogant and proud and loveless. And because of that, a curse comes upon him and it turns him into a beast. And the nature of the curse is, is that if he can learn to love, and if someone else can learn to love him, the curse will be broken and he will be restored back to who he was originally. And so we are watching the scene from the end of the movie, spoiler alert on a really old movie. Uh, you're gonna see how it all ends. But in the movie, uh, because he is a beast, a mob has been stirred up. They've, been, they've become fearful and angry. They've stormed his castle. He has been fatally wounded and him and Belle, who has started to fall in love with him, are coming together in this scene. Take a look. So from hideous beast to Disney dream, boat in 30 seconds. That is quite a renovation going on in this guy's life. And we don't believe in magic, of course, but that's a pretty good picture of what we're talking about in this series. That through his sin, through his selfishness, he was transformed into something awful. But through the power of love, he is set free. The curse is broken so that he can be who he was originally meant to be. That is the gospel story. And so you take the magic out of it, replace it with the Holy Spirit. You take the beast out of it, replace it with our sinful nature. And that is our story. That because of our actions, we have become something that we were not supposed to be. And yet through Christ's love and what he did at the cross, we also are set free. We also are being transformed. We are being restored back to what God had always intended for us to be. That's very good news. And so this is our story. And we wanna emphasize particularly uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're very getting very practical now as we go through the series. We've been talking about some of the sort of foundational stuff in the first few weeks, but for the last week and the next number of weeks, we just want to talk very practically, how does this happen? How can we put ourselves in the presence of the Lord so that he can do the formational work in us? So last week we talked about growing in the knowledge of God. We were particularly talking about scripture, that as scripture comes, scripture transforms us. Scripture is something that God uses to make us more like Jesus. Today we're talking about growing in communion with God. And when we say communion with God, uh, we're not meaning just sort of like the communion table. We're talking about where in our lives are we truly connecting with him. And we could have just called this prayer, and prayer encompasses a lot of things, but it's not just exactly about prayer because communion happens through worship, it can happen through our scripture reading, but we wanna focus specifically on where are we being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
so his formational work can happen in our lives. We've used the picture throughout the series of not unlike uh, when I had a vitamin D deficiency, the best way to deal with it was just to get into the sunlight. I can't create my own vitamin D, but if I put myself in the presence of the sunlight, then the sun will do all the work of creating it in me. And likewise, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work in us. Our job is to put ourselves in his presence. Our job is to connect with the Holy Spirit through various ways, which we're unpacking now as we go. And in that way, we are being transformed. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in John chapter 10. And as we go through this, there's lots of passages we could have used in this topic. I liked this one in particular uh, for reasons that I'll explain as we get going. So John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus is talking. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now let's jump down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. So it is a common theme of Jesus. It's often uh, in art. He is pictured as a shepherd holding the shepherd's crook, or he is uh, pictured with lambs around him or, or carrying a lamb, and he would use that picture of himself a few times in the Gospels. And so in this story, we are the sheep, obviously. Jesus is the shepherd. And as he gets going, uh, there's this beautiful picture of, of connection and communion and intimacy with the Lord that unfolds in this metaphor. So last week, we talked about how the Word of God transforms us, how Scripture transforms us. Today, we're talking about how the presence of God transforms us, how the Holy Spirit does that work as we get into his presence. The Old Testament and New Testament talks about the presence of God as something that is real, that God is not just something that we understand intellectually. He is not just something that we encounter through the Word, although we do, of course, encounter him intellectually and through the Word. But if you read the book of Acts, there is a, a way in which the people walk with the Lord that is a very dynamic and, and back and forth interactive relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit speaks regularly. That the Holy Spirit guides them regularly. The Holy Spirit's presence fills the room in a way that is tangible and real. That there is something about the walk with God, the walk with the Holy Spirit, that is meant to be very real and very interactive. We don't just get given a book and are told, go on your way. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come. I will not leave you alone, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you. So there is a, a level of relationship with the Holy Spirit that we are promised in Scripture that I honestly think a lot of Christians don't tap into. We did a series on the Holy Spirit a few years ago, and we talked about, for a lot of Christians, their trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. 
right? That is what their Trinity looks like. Even if they believe in the Holy Spirit and, and understand the Holy Spirit, they don't necessarily have a relationship or an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So part of what I want you thinking about today as we go through this series is where do I connect with the Holy Spirit in my life? Where am I being filled with the Holy Spirit? Where do I feel close to God? Where do I start to touch his presence? Where do I feel the sense of his joy or his peace or his love? Where am I connecting and communing with him in my life? The day that I got saved, I was 18 years old. I had grown up in church my whole life, and it never meant a thing to me. I'd sat under, you know, thousands of sermons, I'm sure, and lots of worship times, and I knew everything, like it all. I understood the scriptures, and, and I understood the stories, and I'd heard them all since I was in Sunday school, and yet it never really had anything to do with me, I thought. It just wasn't something I was interested in. My parents were very devout. Uh, me and my brother were not so much. We went to church because we were expected to go to church. We were dragged there. And so as I was 18 years old, one day, just in conversation with a friend, there's more to it, but just to, to really shorten it, uh, in conversation with a friend, I just suddenly became very, very aware of my sin in a way that I had never had experienced before. Um, I had heard sermons on those sins before, and they hadn't done a thing. I knew uh, in my head, I think, that I was doing things I shouldn't be doing, but it didn't really matter. But on that day, through that conversation, all of a sudden, my sin became very, very real to me. And I was very much cut to the heart, as Scripture said. I realized profoundly that I had not lived in a way that pleased God. And I realized profoundly that I was not right with Him. And so not knowing what to do, not knowing, you know, where to go from there, I went home that night and I just got on my knees and I said, Lord, uh, I, I am sorry for the things I have done and I want to know you. I want to know you. And I didn't have any language at the time to explain what happened next, but what it felt like as someone who really didn't know what was happening was it just felt like the room got full with God, like his presence was tangible. His presence was so real, as real as any of your presence is to me right now. And I felt the guilt and the shame slide away, and I felt myself fill with hope and with joy and with love and with peace in a way that I never had before. And again, I didn't know what exactly was going on, but I knew I'd cried out to the Lord, and He had showed up in a way that was real. And I got up off my knees that day, and hey, here I am, everybody. Everything was different after that. Everything was different after that. And so I didn't pray a specific prayer, and I didn't check off a theological list of, do you believe these 11 things? It was, no, it was an encounter with the Lord. The presence of God transformed me. Jesus became real to me for the very first time in my life, and I was never the same after that. So to connect with the presence of God, uh, to be in communion with God, it happens through prayer, it happens through worship, it happens lots of ways, but we chose the phrase communion with God because that's really what we're talking about. We don't want to pray just where we're doing a drive-by prayer. Like, we want to pray in a way where we're actually connecting with God. We don't want to open our Bible just to whip through our, our reading plan for the day. We want to open our Bible in a way where we are connecting with God. We don't want to come into worship just to sing some songs. We want to come into worship where we are connecting with God, where we are touching the presence of the divine so that we can be transformed. So in our text, we'll pull out a few things today. Verse 1, uh, Jesus is talking specifically to the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. It's kind of easy for us to skip past that because we want to get to the good shepherd part. But this is Jesus really bashing the Pharisees in a major way. 
Uh, Jesus was always having conflict with this group. This was a group of Bible teachers. They were religious leaders of the day, and they knew their Bible very well, and they did not know the Lord very well. They knew the scripture front and back, but they weren't really walking with God. And Jesus would call them out on that all the time. And that's one of the reasons why last week when we were talking about growing in the knowledge of God, growing in the scriptures, we said that alone is not enough. Because if that alone were enough, the Pharisees would have been the most godly people around. And Jesus said, no, you hypocrites, over and over again, you are hypocrites. You love money, you love power, you love prestige. And so when Jesus is using this picture of, you know, not everybody who claims to be a leader of the flock is a real leader. Some of the, the people who are sneaking in are kind of shady. He's saying, Pharisees, you're not really legitimate shepherds. You are not shepherding God's people well. And he's about to say, I am the one who's shepherding them well. But because the Pharisees did what they did, because they loved money, because they loved power, because they loved the seats of honor, they are not really shepherding the sheep very well. And Jesus would go on to say, a good shepherd lays their life down for the sheep. They don't make it about themselves. They put the sheep first. The Pharisees didn't do that. So there's a rebuke coming to them right off the top. Jesus goes on, verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And there is just such a beautiful picture of intimacy in this passage, that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And that's something that can only happen with time. That can only happen as the sheep and the shepherd are spending time together. We have a dog named Sasha. She is a lovable idiot, as I like to call her. Um, and I'm not a dog person, but I tolerate Sasha because I love my family so much. And so Sasha uh, loves me a lot and knows my voice. She has learned my voice and she knows certain commands and certain words she will respond to perfectly every time. And she knows Sarah's voice and she knows the kid's voice. And that's not something that happens, you know, through specific training plan or anything. It was just by spending time together. There was a lot of time when she didn't respond to her voice. And then you keep at it. You practice, you practice, you practice. Eventually, now she responds to our voice every time. She, she's very good, actually. She's a very obedient dog. And so there is something about uh, intimacy in that passage, that, that as the sheep and the shepherd spend time together, the sheep will start to learn what does the Holy Spirit's voice sound like. Because the Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking all the time. Part of our job as Christians is to learn how do we tune into that? How do we learn to hear his voice? And, and it happens by spending time together, by spending time in his presence. That's the only way you can truly get to know someone, is by spending time in their presence. When Sarah and I started dating, uh, we met at church. We met at a church event. I was pastoring in Amherstburg. She was at a different church, but she showed up and we met. Uh, Sarah messaged me later that night, proving once and for all that she hit on me first. And I have a microphone right now. I can say what I want. <laughs> and we started a conversation online, just getting to know each other a little bit. But from there, eventually, you actually have to go on a date, right? You can't just do, you can't really fully get to know someone through a screen. You just can't. You can learn a lot, but eventually you have to connect person to person. Eventually, you have to sit at coffee or sit at dinner or, or go to a movie. You actually have to spend time in that person's presence. And so the sheep who have learned the shepherd's voice are the ones who have spent a lot of time with the shepherd. They have spent time seeking his presence. They have spent time pressing in to him. They have spent time going after him. And there's this call in scripture that comes from the book of Acts on that we are people who are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command that is given to us. 
And I've told you before, the way that's phrased can be a little bit confusing. In the Greek, what it's really saying is be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing that happens, that we are constantly to be filled with the Spirit and refilled and refilled and refilled and refilled. It's like your car. You don't fill your car once. You fill your car over and over and over again. And that's what the spiritual journey is like. We need to be refilled. We need to be refilled. We need to be refilled. We can't just coast on what happened 10 years ago where we had a cool God moment one time and then just coast on that for the next 40 years. And like, you don't wanna do that anyway. Because life in the Spirit is so incredible. Life in the Spirit is what gives the walk with Jesus power. Life in the Spirit is where the joy comes from. It's where the peace comes from. It's where the sense of his presence comes from. And if we have a walk with Jesus that is just kind of very dry and mechanical and going through the motions, I would suggest you need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit again. And he's the one that comes and makes it so much easier. Because when Jesus left, he said to his disciples, I am leaving you now, but I'm going to leave you somebody when I'm gone. I'm not going to abandon you. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he will be your helper. The helper is going to come. He's going to help you in this life. This life is hard enough. Why would you want to do it by yourself? Jesus said the helper is going to come and he will lead you in the way you should go and he will fill you over and over and over again and he will show you the truth and he will open up the scriptures and he will convict you of sin and he will make you more like me and he will fill you with faith and love and hope and joy and everything you need comes from the Spirit of God, comes from him. And so if my spiritual life doesn't look like that very much, guess what the solution is? Be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Are we even praying that prayer as part of our lives? Are we even thinking along those lines that I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The helper has been promised to us. And if I'm not seeking him in my life, I'm not consciously saying it this way, but I'm essentially saying, I don't need the help. I think I can do it by myself. Again, no one's consciously saying that. But when help from heaven has been offered, nickel's worth of free advice, take the help. Why would you not listen to Jesus on this? The helper is available. Our job is to seek him, to seek that filling, to pray that prayer, and to figure out how do I connect with him in my life? And we'll get a bit more practical to that as we go. Moving on, verse 5. Jesus says, The sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Uh, for smart people who knew their Bible, that just goes right over their head. Uh, Jesus is, is putting them down. He's saying, you guys are the strangers. Like they, The people of God shouldn't really be following you because you are not legitimate leaders. And so there's, again, this picture of intimacy. The sheep will know the shepherd so well that they will never be taken off track. And I don't know anybody who does that perfectly, certainly. But this is the ideal that Jesus is setting. They will be so close to the shepherd that when other voices come, they won't be misled. And we all have lots of voices crying for our attention in our lives. We have the voice of our own flesh, our sinfulness. We have people in our lives who are speaking things maybe that aren't good. We have the media. We have the world. We have the devil. There are voices everywhere that would pull us away from the path of God, pull us away from his will. Jesus says there are going to be sheep who walk so closely and intimately with him, who know his voice so well that they won't get pulled aside by the world or by the flesh or by the devil or by uh, the, the person in your life who's speaking things they shouldn't speak. They will never be caught off guard. And it just so struck me in prep this week, you know, sheep, like actual sheep, not us humans, but actual sheep, 
don't really have to worry about much in this life. I don't imagine sheep in the flock are sitting there going like, well, I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow, and I don't know what I'm going to drink, and there's a wolf over there. What do we do about him? And I don't know where we're going. Like, the sheep doesn't worry about that even a little bit. The sheep only worries about where is my shepherd? And my shepherd will lead me in everything that I need. My shepherd will feed me. My shepherd will deal with the wolf. My job is to walk with the shepherd. As I walk with the shepherd, he will provide everything else. We take on so much that we are not supposed to take on. And so much worry. And, and a lot of my doctoral work has focused on discernment. And I'm just more convinced of it now than ever as I'm in the, the final stretch of my schooling is that discernment, hearing his voice, honestly is the solution to basically every problem in life. I don't need to have the answer. I just need to hear his. I don't need to know how to talk to that person. I need to know how he wants me to talk to that person. I don't need to make this big decision by myself. I need to discern where he is leading me in that decision. I want to be a sheep who knows his voice that well. And the only way to do that is by getting close to him and spending time in his presence. The more I am in his presence, the more I'm going to be able to hear his voice. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, there's a blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's a word, it's a very churchy word, it's a biblical word, but when we talk about fellowship, we often talk about when Christians are hanging out, right? We're having a fellowship meal, a fellowship luncheon, we're having a fellowship Super Bowl party, whatever. But we are spending time together, right? That's fellowship. Fellowship is hanging out with other Christians. There is a hanging out with the Holy Spirit that the Word of God blesses us with. Not that he would just be an idea we think about or a theological thing that we affirm, we believe in the Trinity, but there, there would be a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit that is as real as any fellowship that we might have with one another. That he would be that tangible to us, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Coming to the end, Jesus says famously, I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So unlike the Pharisees who are in it for wealth and power and prestige, Jesus says, I'm actually going to die for the sheep. That's how you know. I, I really love these people. But again, I just love the beautiful simplicity of, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I know them, and they know me. And of course, he knows us because he's God. Us knowing him is something that we are, are growing in. But the Apostle Paul would write in Philippians, I just very simply, his heart's cry was, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And at this point in his life, Paul knows Christ pretty well. He has been walking with Jesus for a long time by the time the book of Philippians is written out. But that's his heart's cry. I want to know him. Not I want to know about him. Not I want to know more information. But I just want to know him. I want to know him personally. I want to know him intimately. So again, the knowledge about God is not the fullness of what we're seeking for. We need that for sure, but we don't just want that. We want to know about him and we want to know him. We want to be sheep who walk closely with the shepherd. Verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He doesn't unpack that too much here, but he's almost certainly talking about the Gentiles. The, the non-Jewish people. Up until Jesus showed up, God, Jehovah, has been primarily dealing with Israel. Not entirely, but he's been primi primarily revealing himself and engaging with Israel. In Jesus, that was all going to change. It wasn't going to stop with just the Jewish people. The gospel was going to go global. And so Jesus is more than likely saying, 
uh, there are Gentiles. There are others who are not part of the Jewish family, and I need to bring them in, because in Jesus, there's going to be no Jew and Gentile anymore. Everyone's going to come together under the one banner of the one Savior. There will be one flock that glorifies Jesus as Lord. And so the gospel is about to spread beyond the boundaries of Israel. Verse 17 and 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Jesus says, I, I obey to the point where I would even be willing to die, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay my life down and authority to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. The power of this gospel that we trust in, the power of this message. Jesus says, yeah, actually nobody kills me. The debate's gone on for 2,000 years. Who killed Christ, right? Was it the Jewish people? Was it the Roman people? Was it both together? Was it our sin? Was it our, our sin that nailed him there? Like all of those things are true to a point, but Jesus seems to say that's a completely fruitless debate, guys. I'm the Lord of life. Nobody kills me. I lay my life down. I do it. And not only do I lay it down, I have the authority to pick it back up again. Death was not big enough to keep Jesus down. And so Jesus comes, no one kills me, guys. I choose to lay my life down. And as I lay it down, I will pick it back up again. And as he lays his life down, he deals with our sin problem. And all the forgiveness we will ever need gets purchased as every sin of ours gets nailed to that cross. And as that forgiveness comes, Jesus has the authority to pick his life back up again. And as he picks his life back up again in the resurrection, as he overcomes death, we also are invited to overcome death. So Jesus says, follow me, trust in me. And because he died for us, that is one worth trusting. That is one worth following. He has demonstrated how committed he is to us. He's demonstrated how much he loves us. So Jesus says, come and follow me. And as you follow me, you will leave your sin behind. You will follow me into eternal life. As I overcame the grave, you will as well. It's the power of the gospel that we believe in. And so just very practically, as we get ready to wrap up here now, um, what can we do? What are some things we can be doing as we seek the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we seek to be in God's presence, as we seek to be filled? First of all, it's going to start with asking. Just asking. It's going to start with prayer. Uh, I've told you often, in James, the scripture says, you don't have because you don't ask. And that's just the dumbest reason possible to not have a blessing from God. You don't have because you don't ask. And like to get to heaven and hear God say, you know what, you could have had more, you just didn't ask. So if you want more Holy Spirit, it starts with asking. It starts simply with that. It starts with that prayer. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. It starts with that cry, come Holy Spirit. And if you don't really understand uh, the heart of this message just because you haven't experienced it or, or you don't know what an encounter with God feels like, then start there as well. Lord, I don't know what this feels like, but I know I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to put him in a box or an expectation of what that can look like. It can look a lot of different ways. But to say, Lord, if that is a promise, if that is available, if the people in the book of Acts live that life of being filled with the Spirit, then I don't want to do this dry, bumpy, routine thing that, that my walk sometimes falls into. I want to be filled with the Spirit. If faith and hope and love and joy are available, I want that. If power is available to leave my sin behind, I want that. If hearing your voice is available, man, do I want that. So it starts with asking, and, and not just asking, but carving out time for it. Because if it's just, if I say to Sarah, hey, Sarah, I want to, you know, I want to know you better. 
and that's it. If I send her a text, hey, let's, let's get to know each other better, and then we never spend time together, then we're probably not gonna get to know each other better. So not just a drive-by prayer of I wanna know you, but to carve out time where we say, Lord, I'm gonna set aside this time to spend in your presence, to spend asking for you to fill me, to spend seeking after you. And there's a lot of ways we can do that, which we'll get to in a second. As we seek to grow in this, we can also look to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. And so there's a series that's gifted. The, I always forget the shrubbery up here cuts it off sometimes. Gifted uh, from the fall of 2018 was a series on the spiritual gifts. The Bible says everybody has a spiritual gift. When you are using your gift, the Holy Spirit is moving through you in that moment. If we want to know him better, that's a really good way to get to know him. When I am teaching, I feel closer to God than just about anywhere else in my life because the Holy Spirit is here in the gifting. So we want to figure out what our gifts are and how we can walk in them. And I won't go any deeper than that this morning, but that series is all online. It's on the podcast and the website. Uh, you can go through that if you're not sure what your gifts are. If you do know what your gifts are, then find a place to start to use them. We can also talk about where our spiritual pathway is. And so the premise of this teaching, uh, which again, I have a whole sermon on it from June 3rd, 2018. It's called Train Yourself to Connect. That's also on the website and on the podcast. But the idea is we don't all feel close to God in the same way. We don't all get filled with the Spirit through the same activities. And so we want to find what that looks like for us. And so for some people, they feel full of the life of God uh, when they're fighting for a cause, injustice, when they're, when they're attacking uh, something that needs to be torn down in, in society or when they're defending the weak or when they're fighting for a cause. They feel that filling. They feel the life of God. They feel that joy and hope and peace. For some people, it's worship. By musical worship, they just feel so close to the Lord. That is somewhere where they feel a connection to him like nowhere else in life. Some of us are contemplative. We need some alone time to think and reflect and meditate. Some of us on the flip side are very relational. We need to talk things out. We need to be able to have a conversation with someone to grow and feel close to God. Some of us like the intellectual pathway where we learn through study and reading and digging deeper. Some of us feel really close to God when we're out in creation and just enjoying the beauty of all that he has made. Some of us feel filled up when we are serving one another. There are other pathways beyond that. These are just some of the main ones. But the idea is, the premise is, find the places in your life where you feel close to God. And wherever you feel close to God, wherever you get that sense of his presence or his life or his peace or, or, or just a touch of you're in his will, wherever that is in your life, as we always say, unapologetically carve out time and space in your life for that. If worship is your thing, get the worship music going and carve out time for that. I have such memories of my father when I was a teenager, not saved yet, and he would just have worship music playing and he'd be lying out on the couch. He'd just be quiet. He was a contemplative guy. He was a worship guy. And he would just spend time just quietly, just resting in the presence of the Lord. He would model that for us. And so there's a lot of different ways he can look, that this can look. I don't want to put a, a parameter on it per se, but to find, to begin to find, to begin to seek, to begin to try out different things, to begin to test things out and say, where in my life do I feel closest to the Lord? Where in my life do I feel his presence? And then go and spend time in that place. Lastly, we talked about this one with scripture last week. It's the same attitude. Come to him with a posture of humility and openness and expectation. Uh, the humility that says, I need a helper. I need a helper. I can't do this on my own. 
the openness that says, Holy Spirit, you are Lord and I am not. And so where you want to go, we will go. The expectation, the faith that says, I believe that as I continue and diligently seek you, that you will show up, that I will learn how to encounter your presence, that I am going to grow in hearing your voice, that my relationship with you is not going to be dry and stagnant and routine, but I'm going to enjoy the dynamic, life-giving relationship with the Spirit that is promised to us in Scripture. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to wrap it up. We've called 2020 a year of next levels here at Meadowbrook Church. And so we are wanting to uh, just go deeper. And that was really the heart of it, is that next levels can look lots of different ways. But we just said we don't want to be in the same place a year from now. Uh, we want to continue to grow. We want to deepen. We want to mature. We want to take that seriously. We want to go to the next level. And we've been specifically looking at how do we do that upwardly and inwardly and outwardly. Upwardly in our connection, our walk with him. How do we go to our next levels inwardly as we learn about ourselves and deal with our own stuff? How do we go to the next levels outwardly and how we deal with the people around us and the world around us? And so just a few things to think about as you start to think about how do we apply this. Uh, so starting upwardly, going to our next levels upwardly. Are we praying that prayer? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Are we carving out any time in our life for that to happen? Do we know what our spiritual gift is maybe? Or do we know uh, what our pathway is? And inwardly ties into that as well as we get to know ourselves and how he has wired us. What does that mean for our walk with God? Where can I meet with God in my life? And again, am I carving out time and space? Not just quick prayers, but am I actually intentionally making room in my life, making time in my life to actually be in his presence? so that I can be refreshed and renewed, so that he can do his work in me. And outwardly, I want you to think about who in your life does this really well? Who in your life walks in the Spirit in a way that you find inspiring? Who's someone who knows how to hear God's voice? Who is someone who, who maybe has a really good demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit? Who is someone who knows his presence? Just to say, what can I learn from that person? What can that person teach me in my walk with him? The other thing I want to say, I forgot to say it in the first service at, at this point, but um, to pray with other people to be filled with the Spirit. Because in the book of Acts, the Spirit can move anywhere. He can do whatever he wants. But in the book of Acts, most of the time, when someone is filled with the Spirit, it's because somebody else laid hands on them and prayed for them to be filled with the Spirit. Almost every time that happens. So it's not that the Holy Spirit can't meet you in your car. He certainly can. But there is something about the way I think God has set this up that he doesn't want us to do this entirely on our own. There is something about the humility and the expectation of asking someone else, will you pray for me? Will you lay hands on me and pray for me to be filled with the Spirit? There is something about that that I think we can very easily miss. And so we're going to pray for that after the service for anybody who wants that today. But to look outwardly, okay, where can I be inspired? Where can I learn something? And where can I pray with other people? So that I can be filled with the Spirit as well. We have an email address here at the church, questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in your bulletin as well. And if you have any questions about the message today, be very happy to keep that conversation going and be able to, to grab a coffee or have a phone call. Keep chatting about what God is speaking to us through His Word. So we've made it clear, I think, through the whole series that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work in us. We can't transform ourselves. We can't renovate ourselves. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. And if that is true, which I think is biblically true, then seeking him should be a high priority for us, right? If he's the one who can do it, then he's the one that we need. And so part of our role is, okay, how, 
as a sheep of God, do I draw closer to the shepherd so I can learn his voice, so I can be in his presence, so I can be led in the way I need to go and he can do his work in me. We're gonna spend some time in prayer at the altar afterwards. Before we do that, uh, we wanna take everything we've talked about today, we wanna offer it up as prayer together, and we're gonna do that through a song that the worship team's about to lead. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. The words will be up on the screen, and let's sing this as our prayer today, as our sincere, hungry, heartfelt prayer for him.